So I want to look in 1 Timothy <clears throat> this morning as we read God's Word, 1 Timothy. And uh, I'm excited about uh, a little thought that I had uh, from here out of 1 Timothy. And I uh, want to look in, well, we'll just go ahead and begin reading in verse number 1. But 1 Timothy chapter number 1. And uh, found some, some good truth about the law and the law of the Lord, the Word of God, the fulfillment of the law. And kind of that relationship through the eyes of Paul. And I want to look at that this morning in 1 Timothy 1. The Bible says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the commandment of God our Savior, and Lord, and Lord Jesus Christ, which is our hope, unto Timothy, my own son in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from, our, from God our Father and Jesus Christ our Lord. And I besought thee to abide still at Ephesus, when I went unto Macedonia, that thou mightest charge some that they teach no other doctrine. Neither give heed to fables and endless genealogies, which minister questions, rather than godly edifying, which is in faith, so do. Now the end of the commandment is charity, out of a pure heart and of a good conscience and of faith unfeigned, from which some having swerved, have turned aside unto vain jangling, desiring to be teachers of the law, understanding neither what they say nor whereof they affirm. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. We thank you for this day. We thank you for another day together in your house. God, I pray for this word that it might find good ground in our heart, wherein it might grow from, God, that we might have fruit from the labor that we have here in your house. God, we love you, we thank you, and praise you. In Jesus' holy name, amen. I want to talk to you this morning for just a few minutes about Paul concerning the law. He's teaching here um, about the law, and I, if there was ever anyone in history, ever anyone, especially you take the New Testament period, aside from Jesus, uh, if there was anyone that knew the law far beyond the concept of anyone else, it was Paul. Aside from Jesus, and I mean, literally, he was—he—he he knew the law inside, outside. He—he he was the—I mean, literally, the scholar of the day, one of the smartest men to ever walk on the earth, and—and and I, I believe one of obviously from his accolades, and you find what he did, what he accomplished. Um, he was probably the smartest man uh, of of pure human flesh that walked on the earth, um, aside from our Lord Jesus, but. You think about Paul and his knowledge, and he's, he's teaching here about the law and how it could be a good thing. It could be beneficial, and you'll find that as we read on through the next few verses. And it, it can be a good thing in the right hands. But there was a turning away, and he says in verse 6, from, from which having, uh, some having swerved have turned aside to vain jangling, desiring to be teachers of the law, understanding neither what they say nor whereof they affirm. And so we find that, in, and it was Paul himself that had became uh, essentially a religious fanatic on 
kind of one side of the, the topic of the law, and he kind of uh, chose to, to be on that side of the Pharisees and their mindset, and you find that kind of the religious crowd with the different uh, groups of, of under the law that had taken it and really just ran with it and started to develop their own mindsets from it and to, almost to a cult mindset of uh, really essentially that's what it was, was a cult mindset of uh, you have to do this, 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 and this, and uh, all these things aside from what the law really said. So Jesus comes onto the scene and Jesus comes in and he just fulfills that law. And so uh, a lot of people will almost disregard it. But Paul's saying here, and he goes on to say in verse number eight, he says, but we know that the law is good if a man use it lawfully. It's not something that we just cast aside. It's not something that we just throw away. You find in Galatians 3.24, the Bible says, whereof the law was our schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ that we might be justified by faith. There are certainly still good lessons that can come from uh, the law. But unfortunately, under the law, the Paul is, and Paul is kind of leaning at this here, is that uh, our earlier condition was a condition of uh, it, it just wasn't enough. It wasn't uh, something that there wasn't necessarily anything with the law, the law itself. But it was man and, and man's relationship to the law. It, we weren't dedicated enough. We weren't uh, in, our, in our true personal relationship uh, to God. We weren't uh, able to do enough to be able to continually follow and abide by this law. It just wasn't uh, enough for man. And so Jesus, in his, in his purpose to come to the earth, was to come to fulfill that law, to establish a new covenant, to create a new relationship between God and man. And a relationship where once you're saved, you're always saved. Once you have that blood applied to your life, you don't have to continue to walk in uh, this, these very specific little things and you don't have to burn this specific thing and slaughter this specific thing and do this and do that just in order to, uh, to have that relationship with God. He's here to fulfill that law. But at the same time, there's importance in recognizing that the law still has good lessons within under the law, man was offered the opportunity to have salvation, but the system wasn't complete, needing Jesus and his word to intervene and provide that eternal security. You know, there's beautiful pictures under the law of things such as, and I think probably my, my favorite is Isaac and Abraham. As they go up and, and God uh, tells and tells uh, Abraham to, to sacrifice Isaac to him. And people, a lot of non-Christians use that against Christians to try to say, well, this is the kind of God you have, but look at the beautiful picture and what God did. Uh, you look and, and Abraham sees that ram caught in a thicket. He was to the point he was ready to do it. God knew his heart. He saw that 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 he that Abraham was just going to do it. This is, this is the gift that God had gave him and he was going to give it back. And I know it's a little rough because it's Old Testament, rubs people a little bit the wrong way, but what a beautiful picture that Jesus looks and he sees that ram caught in the thicket and how or Abraham looks and, and there's that ram. It's wonderful. It's a beautiful picture. And so how in, in, in his life, how, how, how wonderful he felt that's fulfilled. I don't have to sacrifice my son, but through that ram, I can, I can have freedom with my son and I can have a relationship. We can be together forever while we're on this earth. And, and so that's a picture of also Jesus. That's a wonderful illustration in the law of God's provision, but that's a perfect picture of Jesus. And, and wherein we don't want to have to, to go through something like that, there's Jesus in his sacrifice that prevents us from having to do something in that nature. So 
God provides to us, it goes from just the law, but we find through the New Testament, the, the New Testament, the addition of the gospel, the addition of the epistles, the addition of revelation, we find that God's word is a perfect connection between New and Old Testament. And I would say that the Old Testament, the, the, the chief focus was Jesus in the Old Testament. Is We are leading up to Jesus. We are heading towards Jesus. We are guided, we are pushing towards the uh, the the. the return of or the first coming of Christ to uh, sacrifice and, and give himself as that eternal sacrifice one time and we're thankful of that and we find some things I want to point out some things about God's word because that's what essentially he, he establishes is he connects the old and the new covenant together to provide us with his word he provides us first with a pure word from Psalms 19.8 it says the statutes of the Lord are right Rejoicing the heart, the commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes, Psalms 19.8. So that's the purity of God's word. But then look at the precious word of God in Romans 7.12. Wherefore, the law is holy and the commandment holy and just and good. And so there is a connection from the Old Testament, the Old Covenant, and the New Covenant. It's a perfect word in Psalms 19. Seven, right before where it's a pure word, it says the law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. In Psalms 19.7. And then it's a piercing word. For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Hebrews 4.12. So you find... This connection of Old and New Testament, the Word of God building up to where we are today, where what we studied this morning out of Revelation, after Revelation ends and the, and the, and the book is finished, the book is fulfilled, we didn't just throw the, the Old Testament out. We didn't just throw the law out. We didn't just cast it away. We didn't just cast out the prophets. We didn't just throw it away. There's still a use for it. The Word of God in itself, complete and holy, this King James Bible is 100%, is 50% Old Testament, 50% New Testament combined together to create the Word of God. You find, I have some, some Jewish friends that I met. Now, I've seen them a long time, talked to them a long time, but they just can't understand me needing the New Testament. And I don't understand that because... That, new, that Old Testament that they're reading from is pointing completely to the New Testament. And it's kind of this balance between understanding that they're, and I preach, I tell people, I'm an Old Testament preacher. I preach from the Old Testament. I, I try to mix it up, but I love the Old Testament. Mom and Shelby have followed me all over the place preaching. I'd say nine times out of ten, it's probably from the Old Testament. But the beauty of the law is that it's pointing to Jesus. That in righteous hands it can be uh, revealed to us, revealed to man that it is Jesus that the Old Testament is speaking of. The law teaches holiness, godliness, dedication. The prophets prophesy and, and preach towards, preach to the cross. You find the, the book of the king, the books of the kings. You find that there is a, an imbalance. You find that they need something. They need guidance from God. They need leadership from God. They need, some, they need to just lean on the Lord. Those are good lessons. I would not want to just split this Bible and just only take the, just the New Testament. It's wonderful. It's the, you find the Gospels. You find the fulfillment of the law. You find eternal relationship with God that I don't have to worry about. It's wonderful. 
you find the, 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 the epistles to the church. I don't want to take that out, but I want to understand and know God's true intention for his word is to, for us to be able to, in balance, understand the law and understand grace. So our earlier condition was that under, under just that law, we didn't have the full word of God. We only had part of it. And we, it, wasn't, it wasn't fully complete. It needed the intervention of Jesus to come in, to die, to give his life, that it might be complete. So therefore, without the New Testament, God's word, it can't be pure as it talks about. It can't be precious as it talks about. It can't be perfect as it talks about. It can't be piercing as it talks about. They need one another. And we, in our knowledge and our prayer and our time with God, need to understand that balance between the law and the grace. We know it's through grace we're saved, we're kept, we're protected. But, we're, but the law is a schoolmaster. It's a teacher. It's not something just to be disregarded. We can learn from it. And I tell you what, when I read it, I'm thankful that we don't have to abide by it. The fulfillment of the, the death of Christ fulfilling the law, it is absolutely amazing to me how it literally gives us the opportunity to just kind of kick back and relax a little bit. You say, well, I, I read 20 chapters a week and I pray for you know an hour a day. That's pretty easy compared to living under the law. Well, I have to tithe all this money and I have to do this and I have to go to church this many times a week. It's pretty easy compared to the law. It's there as a teacher to show, look at what these people went through. And, and I tell you what, just by our nature, just by our blood, just by who we are, we're not welcomed into it. That com combination is, through Jesus, any man that walks upon the earth, the Jew and the Greek, can experience a relationship with Jesus, experience their relationship with God, the God of the law and the God of grace. And that's amazing. That was our earlier condition before Grace before under the law, we needed Jesus. We needed him to come. We needed him to, to, to put the pieces together and create his word to us. Without him, I wouldn't have any part in it. Without him, I wouldn't have any, any way of being in. But with him, he puts those pieces together. He says, verse 8, But we know that the law is good if a man use it lawfully. Knowing this, that the law is not made for a righteous man, but for the lawless and disobedient, for the ungodly and for sinners, for unholy and profane, for murderers of fathers and murderers of mothers, for manslayers, for whoremongers, for them that defile themselves with mankind, for men-stealers, for liars, for perjured persons. And if there be any other thing that is contrary to sound doctrine, according to the glorious gospel of the blessed God, which was committed to my trust. All of us... We were in one of those little categories. There's something about that that sticks to you, sticks to me. That we were imperfect. We were essentially, there wasn't anything we could do to save ourselves. I'm, I wasn't righteous. I wasn't righteous. Not righteous today, but besides what Jesus has put into me. Look on down where it says, verse number 12, And I thank Christ Jesus our Lord, who hath enabled me for that he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry, who was before a blasphemer and a persecutor and injurious, but I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was exceeding abundant with faith and love, which is in Christ Jesus. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all ex except 
acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. And so here's Paul. He's talking about his called position in, 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 God, in God's family. And he says, For he counted me faithful, putting me into ministry, who was before a blasphemer. Now this was somebody who followed the law to a T, but he was a blasphemer and a persecutor. He persecuted those that followed the full truth, the full, uh, the full um, expectation of God in Jesus. And injurious, but I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. He hadn't moved yet into that understanding of grace, the grace and the love of Jesus. That's what blows my mind when people get so Look at what this person used to do. Look at who they used to be. Look at the sin that they used to have in their life. You talk about somebody that, uh, you know, very open. It sounds like this book that you were talking about, Kathy, that uh, very open about how they used to live their life. A lot of people will, will count that person out because look at what they used to do. Look at who they used to be. But what we do doesn't define us forever. Unless we can let it define us. <laughs> what we're talking about is, if I, hey, if I want to turn, we, as we're studying through Revelation, there's some that will let it define them. I'm going to just till the end of the time, I'm just going to sit on whatever my sin is, and I'm just going to act like that there ain't nothing nobody can do to touch me. But as a Christian, we realize and recognize that God brought us out of so much. He opened us, opened up his family to us. He allowed us into the fold. He allowed us to take part in something that we didn't deserve to be a part of anyway. Like I said, it'd be hard for us, you know, you go back a couple, three, four thousand years and think about our group just kind of rolling up, wanting to, you know, get, be a part of the, the, the Jewish custom. I mean, we, we don't have the, the right. We don't buy blood. We don't have the right by um, so many different ways. We wouldn't be welcomed in. We wouldn't be allowed. But how much greater is it we shouldn't be allowed into the family of God because we're not worthy to be a part of the family of God. But yet because of his love, because of his mercy, as Paul's talking about here, because of his grace, he lets us in. What a wonderful, loving God we serve. That from the foundation of the earth, he knew that he would have to do something to take this law that he, he laid out and, and open it up to all mankind. And that just happened to be his only begotten son. That just happened to be the only person made in his image that was perfect. We're thankful, and he's, Paul's thankful in verse 12, because he used to be a transgressor. He used to be ungodly. Verse 14, And the grace of our Lord was exceeding abundant with faith and love, which is in Christ Jesus. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am chief. Is that not true of us all? That, I mean, really, and that's what Paul's saying is that's the spirit of our life that we must live, that we realize and recognize that what we used to be pre-Jesus was the literal epitome, the literal example of the most ungodly, the most sinful, the most messed up example of human living that there ever was. I'm afraid that people's problems today is they're not really willing to say, I was the chief or actually, he says, I am chief of sinners. People are not willing to admit that they are leading this party. It's me leading this party of sinners because 
of all people that don't have any rhyme or reason to do God wrong, I chose to do God wrong. I choose uh, sometimes to live contrary to God's word. I'm afraid that's people's problem, Britton. They, they won't get up and just say, you know what? I am the, the literal, if you look up sinner in a dictionary, you'll see my picture beside it. They try to get themselves, you know, I'm, I'm a sinner, but I'm just, you know, I just, I'm a level one sin. I'm not, you know, I'm not real big into that lifestyle. You know, I'm just, just enough that I needed Jesus, but, you know, not that bad. Paul says, I am chief of sinners. And here he is to his, to his protege, Timothy, telling him that. You know, with your, somebody you're being a mentor to, those people you're being a mentor to, you, to them, you don't want to show them all sides of you. But Paul, in his truth, as he's writing Timothy, he says, I am chief of sinners. His called position into the family of God, I believe he was able to get there because he recognized what God, excuse me, brought him from. We thought about Paul's earlier condition. We thought about his called position. And look, finally, at his eternal provision. Verse number 16 says, Howbeit for this cause I obtained mercy, that in me first Jesus Christ might show forth all long suffering for a pattern to them which should hereafter believe on him to life everlasting. Now unto the King eternal, immortal, invisible, the only wise God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Paul is he's, he's saying that out of that pit that he was in, I tell you what, it, I couldn't imagine, think of this, you see online, you see online so easily, especially, you remember when ISIS popped up? Their, one of their main goals was to persecute and kill Christians. That was a, a huge goal because, and you see it with other terrorist groups, but specifically ISIS, their, their goal as, as a Muslim terrorist group was to openly, publicly humiliate and persecute and kill Christians. And you find lots, especially as they popped up, lots and lots of videos that they posted online of them beheading Christians. And so think of this as that guy literally doing that, doing, beheading or calling for the beheading of Christians. That's Paul. That's him. I mean, he was a persecutor of God's people. He was, and, and he understood the law. And that's what I believe his goal in, in, in talking about this is that the law is good, but there's another side to it. The law is, is, is something that we can learn from but it's not the, the complete and final authority anymore. And he had become this very, gotten very deep into it and, and like I said, become almost a, a cult leader and become part of that, that mindset of, you know, anyone contrary to, to what we're believing, what we're talking about, what we're doing, we're just going to take them out. And that's where we as Christians, I have a hard time with those that would behead a Christian. I have a hard time accepting that into my heart that they're, they could be saved, that they could be godly, that they could be a preacher. I have a hard time with that. 
But one of my greatest, uh, uh, I guess you'd say mentors, somebody that I love reading after, somebody I love studying, one of the greatest men of God to ever live on the earth, he was that person. If they had had video cameras back then, he would have wanted to video what they were doing to Christians. He would have wanted to put it out there to spread chaos and cause fear. And like me, he's, he, and he's saying, he says, he was a blasphemer, he was a persecutor, he was injurious, but he obtained mercy. What does that mercy do for us? He says in verse 17, now unto the king eternal, immortal, invisible, the only wise God, be honor and glory forever and ever, amen. When Paul got into the family of God, he recognized God's power, God's magnificence, but God's eternal, God's eternal presence. He's here forever. Some people have a hard time, and I, I just decided to stop even thinking about it. What was God doing prior to Eden? It's your mind, you will fry your circuits if you think about that too long. Because it's, it's so hard to comprehend because God's time scale is so much different than ours. I mean, it will just, it, and I thought about that for a while, and I'm like, oh, man, I'm above my pay grade. I am, this is not something I can understand. And, and yes, you wonder, and you, you want to know some of these things, and, and we know that there's things, you know, Revelation, it, it's, it confuses me. I'm, I study through, and I'll study bits and pieces, and I'm like, oh, my goodness, I'm confused. But I do, even though I don't know what God was doing before he created the earth, I believe he was God. Although I don't know every little single detail of what's going to happen during the, the end times, and I, don't, I couldn't stand here and tell you all these things, I know that afterwards he'll still be God. And that's Paul. That's where he at, he's at is under and through his, his, his relationship. He obtained that mercy. He was saved. He was washed in the blood of Jesus. He's on, his, on that road going to persecute Christians, going to do wrong, on that road to Damascus. And there, the magnificent uh, Jesus Christ himself appears to him, and he was so great. He was so uh, uh, wonderful that, that he couldn't even look on, upon him with his eyes. You find that there were great scales that come upon his eyes. You find him not even just a few days down the road. He is preaching. He is living for God. And here he was. He was the chief, as he says, he's the chief of sinners. Just like you, just like me. And he recognizes and he realizes that this king is eternal, immortal. And he says, the only wise God, be honor and glory forever and ever. This God he's loving, this God he's serving was here before this earth was created and he'll be here after that went a completely different direction hope it made some sort of sense but God saves us out of this religious system of just waking up and just doing what we're doing you find Paul he came from the family that's usually in line to do that to be part of that religious system, to be part of that leadership, to be that scholarly person. That's where he was before. And you find that in his salvation and through God's mercy that he's called into a ministry and called out of a life of sin. And he recognizes and proclaims the perfect, immortal power of God. And since the day he died, 
He's been in heaven. I believe that with my whole heart, that he's in heaven with the Lord. And he's no different than us. We came from a line that we, we could be so great on this earth. We could do so much, accomplish so much things within ourselves. But we grasp hold of the mercy, the grace of God, and if we realize and admit that we are chief of sinners, we too, with Paul and David and Abraham, Jesus, and this list of mine long, your grandma, your grandpa, mom, dad, aunt, uncle, brother, sister, we can forever eternally experience in heaven the great place that God has prepared for us. As we read that out of Revelation this morning, you know, that place that God's prepared for us. And as I said, you, you can't do justice. I think anytime someone preaches, speaks on heaven, we need to mention hell. Because God prepared that place for us that we might not experience these things we read about this morning. That we might not have to live through that torment. That we might eternally get to be with him. Thank you for your attention. Thank you for your time. Like I said, that might have been...